why are we not questioning the morality of legally authorizing an entity to counterfeit currency and just imagine currency into existence and then buy things with it, especially things attached to our future work hours. We have to work to pay off that uh, mortgage loan that's in the mortgage-backed security that the Fed bought. We have to work to uh, pay the uh, principal and the interest due on the treasury bonds through our taxes in the future. To and, and so the currency comes into existence by sort of enslaving us. We are enslaved in the future, you, uh, our children. Uh, this all has to be paid back through future taxation. Welcome to Wealthion. I'm Wealthion founder Adam Taggart. Two questions I get asked often are, what's a compelling investment opportunity right now? And can you recommend any good books on wealth building? Well, I'm happy to be able to kill two birds with one stone in today's discussion because this week, precious metals expert Mike Maloney is releasing a brand new book, The Great Gold and Silver Rush of the 21st Century, and I've just finished reading my advanced copy. It's extremely well-written and researched, and I'm going to ask Mike to delve into several of its most important insights. Mike, congrats on the launch of a great book. Thanks, Adam. Uh, Mike, well, look, um, congrats on the launch of a great book. I'm very excited to talk to you um, about everything that's in here. Um, very quickly, you've written other previous best-selling books on sound money. W why did you write this particular book, and why now? Uh, it's a lot of topics that I haven't covered yet. Uh, the why now portion of the uh, question is interesting because I actually started this book about a decade ago. And I've worked on it off and on. And then I got the feeling that the, you know, there's uh, timing is very, very important. And I just got the feeling uh, last year that uh, something bad was going to happen sometime soon in the economy. And the economy and the stock markets did peak at the end of 2022 and or the end of 2021. Yep. The stock market and yeah, the stock markets and the economy did peak at the end of 2021. And uh, with the way that they're raising up rates, I got very worried. Luckily, uh, we had tremendous hurdles to getting this book out. There were paper shortages, so we couldn't get the printer couldn't get paper. Then once they got paper, there were cardboard shortages. Then Amazon has become just an absolute nightmare to deal with when it comes to opening up a store and getting things uh, set up properly for sales. And so this book was actually supposed to come out last October. Uh, now the book, like I said, I started about 10 years ago. I started writing it off and on different uh, attempts. Uh, it has been written and rewritten and rewritten over and over again. Uh, there's probably about 80% of the book was cut from the book. Wow. Uh, it is Why? researched, well, because it would have been like this thick and uh, okay. <laughs> you know, it would have been daunting. It was uh, to reduce everything to simple language and then make it very dense. Have you read any book that contained as much information about the economy, what money and currency are? Uh, price versus value, money versus currency, uh, economics, and then the current state of the global economy, and trying to add all that up together so that you can hold it all in your mind at once and understand the really big picture 
of what's going on. And if you can hold all of this in your mind, I believe you can sort of see the future. Uh, one of the problems is, though, people, <clears throat> you know, I don't know what to put on the cover. Uh, this one is, you know, gold and silver stands out. But uh, this is a lesson on the difference between money versus currency and then the banking system. The banking system is no longer this friendly system. You know, it opens up with George Bailey uh, from It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's not that banking system. Uh, it's completely different. Um, and so uh, then it goes on to understanding some fundamental economics that if you, if you grasp those, uh, you can sort of see why things are happening the way that they're happening. And then you put that together with the underlying conditions in the economy, which is, you know, this was most of the data was uh, um, gathered and produced uh, for chapter five, which is about the almost everything bubble. And uh, so it was at the peaks and now we're deflating, but I still expect some sort of crash. And then the, the difference in the fundamentals between <laughs> <laughs> the 1970s bull market in gold and silver and today. And if you can hold those things in your mind all at once, uh, you can see the future. The problem is, because it says gold and silver on the cover, most people, instead of um, taking action now and protecting themselves, are going to wait until the peak. Uh, and then they're going to all come rushing in, and they're just going to be SOL. <laughs> Well, Mike, look, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, in in what you've been able to condense here, it sort of reminds me of the old Mark Twain quote: um, "I didn't have time to write you a short letter." Right? Like people don't appreciate how difficult it is to be concise, right? Um, and you've done a really good job of, you know, as you said, the the book could have been this thick. You've really gotten it down to to this yeah. level of thickness here. Um, but it is definitely just insight packed. And you're you're right. There's sort of a progression the book lays out it sort of starts with foundational education but then it gets up to okay let's let's use that understanding to see why things are happening the way they are and then let's see where the puck is headed and let's position for that today so that yes you know you talk about there how there will really be a lot of winners and losers right you talk about people being sol if they wait too long if you are either unaware of what's going on um or aware but don't take action in time you're going to be a lot worse off um, if this trajectory you're laying out actually does happen than the people that see what's happening and, and take steps now. So you've got a bunch of key insights in this book. I took good notes as, as I wrote through it. Uh, I read through it. And um, if, if you don't mind, I'd love just to sort of highlight some of these key points and give you the opportunity to provide whatever context and color to them you'd like people to know before they go out and read the book. Excellent. Let's do All it. Right. So starting out, uh, just in, in chapter one, you talk about uh, the supreme importance of understanding the difference between money versus currency. And I want to pull one of your quotes here, um, actually two quotes you put in here, one from you, one from uh, a very wise person in history. The first one is that money must store value. Currency does not. So I'm going to let you explain that, but I will give the other quote too here. Um, which is the beginning of wisdom is to call things by their proper name. And that's an old saying by Confucius, right? So age old uh, 
pearls of wisdom there. And I, I think that's why it's so important to you to get the terminology right here, because if we're not speaking accurately, then we don't have a good understanding. Right. And, you know, I started this uh, with my first book, um, actually stage appearances. I started differentiating between national fiat currencies and money because everybody agrees. I mean, even you go on the Federal Reserve's website and uh, you look for the attributes of what what is money? What, what does money have to be? And the very first thing is a store of value. And after that, they go medium of exchange, unit of account, and all these other things, fungible and divisible and all, all that other stuff. And so if it's in the book, I came up with a, a couple of questions that you can ask somebody. If somebody is insisting, no, you're wrong. The euro is money. No, you're wrong. The dollar is money. Ask them uh, does money have to be a store of value? Is that one of its attributes? And if they say yes, ask them, is there inflation? And if they say yes, then ask them, aren't those two things mutually exclusive? Mm -hmm. <laughs> if there is inflation, it is not storing value. And current national fiat currencies, all of them on this planet now, are borrowed into existence and they're owed back plus interest. But the currency to pay the interest doesn't exist yet. It wasn't borrowed into existence. When it is borrowed into existence, you owe interest on that. So if you've got, if you start off with $1 and you're going to owe that plus a dollar's worth of interest, uh, and then you borrow the second dollar to pay that interest eventually, now you've, there's $2 in existence. One is disappearing into the debt payment, but now you've got four, uh, $4. There's $2 of interest and $2 of debt, and $1 is vanishing to pay off the principal on the first loan. But it doesn't, we don't, we never borrow the currency into existence. There's always more loans than there are. Uh, whenever you borrow currency into existence, whether it's from a bank or whether it's the central bank doing it, uh, the currency appears as a double entry bookkeeping thing. There's a uh, debt and a uh, credit and, and uh, these two things. When you make payments, you're extinguishing the debt that is owed on that balance sheet with the currency that you save up. And so the principal vanishes, but the uh, interest is still owed. And so in our society, loans, there are constantly more loans being made than there are paid. But what right. does that every mean? Day. Every, every day. Every day. Exactly. Uh, and so if, if you're talking about M2 uh, currency supply, you're talking about 90% bank credit. And uh, so you uh, go out and find a house that you want to buy. You need a million dollar loan. The bank says, okay, uh, here's the loan document you have to agree to. They just check you out and see if, if they think you can repay it. And if they think so, then Here's the loan document. Your signature hits that paper. They type, they imagine a million dollars into existence. We're going to loan you a million dollars on that house. They imagine that into existence, type it into your checking account. And at the same time, there is a debt uh, owed to the bank on that loan. And so this brand new imagined currency just appears. And when you make the payments on the principal, it vanishes. Uh, however, you then have to save up some of the existing pool of currency that is always being borrowed into existence and pay the interest, 
which is the bank's profit and pays all of the employees and pays for the building and everything else. And it goes out and it circulates. But the point is, uh, those dollars that you're paying with, they were borrowed into existence. They're somebody else's principal that was borrowed into existence just in the currency pool. Uh, it's the more you dig into the monetary system, the more you figured out that this is just such an illusion. It is just, it's, it's amazing. And this, it's really important right now for everybody to start learning this stuff because we're about to go through some enormous changes in just the next few years. This decade is going to see some upheavals in the monetary system. And if you read the book, I do believe that gold and silver are going to be the big winners in all of this. Okay, we're going to get there to gold and silver specifically, but yeah. I still want to go through some of these main points. And, and sticking on this <clears throat> um, understanding of money and currency, um, when you talk about modern fiat currency, you sort of mentioned this, but I want to make it really clear for people. There's really sort of two components to it. There's what's called base currency, and then there's what's called um, bank credit currency. Um and why don't you define base currency real quickly for people? And then I want to talk a little bit more about bank credit currency. Okay, there's two forms of base currency. Uh, the first is the paper notes that are in your wallet. And that is an IOU from the Federal Reserve if you live in the United States, the ECB if you're in Europe, Bank of England if you're in England. Uh, so the paper notes are one form of base currency. And uh, they used to be the vast, vast majority of base currency. But then with quantitative easing, uh, Ben Bernanke, because of the mechanics of the way quantitative easing works, uh, base currency sort of gets trapped in this second form of the base currency, which is bank reserves. Bank reserves are a dollar that the public never sees, touches, or interacts with. It is uh, something that is only used for interbank settlement and interbank loans. So they're borrowing and, and lending to one another. And then when uh, if I pay you uh, and I write a check to you and you go and cash that check, your bank is going to contact my bank and tell them that you've got a check from me and they'll make $1,000 worth of uh, uh, the imagined <laughs> bank credit currency digits, these dollars that are just uh, digits, which the Bank of England actually states and it's in the book, that these digits are reminders that the bank owes you an IOU. They aren't even an IOU. They, the bank owes you the paper note IOUs, the base currency IOUs <laughs> the public uses. So there's about $2 trillion worth of base currency IOUs that we use in circulation, paper notes. The banks use that for just interbank settlement. The, the current, the vast majority of the currency supply, about 90% of M2, uh, is bank credit currency. So these are, like I said, digits in your bank account that remind the bank that it owes you that many central bank IOUs. This is all in chapter four. And chapter four, by the way, is a free download at ggsr21.com. So there's two chapters. Read chapter three first. <laughs> for your viewers, chapter three is much more uh, friendly and easy to read. The reason chapter four is online is because it is the hardest one to understand, and I need to be able to go back and change it as uh, people help me figure out better ways of phrasing this. Uh, yeah, that, that's really that's one thing about the book I do want to 
uh, applaud you on, which is, I know part of it might have come from necessity that the, the data was changing in real time as you were writing the yes. book. But yeah. to have these online uh, chapters where you can continue to update the charts and the data there so that at any time somebody wants to see the latest data, they can go there. That's actually really valuable and really compelling. And I also just want to commend you too. like the, <clears throat> this is a, a paperback book, but it's the highest quality paperback book I've, I've ever held. I mean, it's got a really nice heft and paperweight to it and whatnot, but, but more importantly, and I hope people can see this. It's it's filled with a lot of um, color. So like, here's an example. I don't know if folks can really see closely, but you got a lot of helpful visuals in here. These are actual bank notes and, and you show sort of the evolution of how currency in the US, the, the, the paper currency used to be a direct claim on real money, right? You yes. could bring the piece of paper to the gold window and get gold or silver in return for it. Now, of course, it's purely fiat. It's it's only backed by your your trust uh, in in the U.S. government and its agencies. Um, but these these visuals are just well, it's it's actually, super useful. It's actually backed by your future taxation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> or, or your house payments and your car payments. So you know, like I said, the bank imagines a million that you bring them a piece of collateral. I want to buy this house. This is my collateral. And they imagine a million dollars into existence and they own the house until you make that final payment. <laughs> you don't own it. You call yourself a homeowner, but you're not until you make that final payment. Uh, and as you're paying, the currency vanishes. Gold didn't do that. Now, when we used gold, um, that which was money, uh, the, uh, the amount of work that it takes to prospect and find a claim and then mine, build a mine, mine that uh, ore, uh, refine the ore, uh, pour the ore, pour the refined uh, gold into bars and then melt those bars and mint coins. The amount of work that that equals would equal about the amount of work that it would take you to do to earn those coins, which would also equal the amount of work that it took to create all the materials and to build that house. It's a fair trade of something for something. Today's uh, fiat currency is a trade of nothing for something, which is a fraud. And uh, it's, you know, they're inventing digits that are reminders to pay IOUs. And, uh, and when they do, it dilutes the IOU supply that is out there, the M2 IOU supply, and, uh, and thereby steals purchasing power from all the existing units of currency. We saw that in the stock market with QE, but now a lot of that is bleeding out in the, the inflation. They don't measure. The, there's something I came up with a long time ago called CUP inflation, C-U-P-P, currency units per person, and nothing else really matters. Uh, in the long run, if they were also, if the CPI also included the stock market, real estate, and uh, and so on, uh, then they would get an accurate measure of inflation that reflected the growth of the currency supply. Because there is one truth: every dollar created has to go somewhere. Every IOU that they create, that that it really is all that it is is IOUs. And I sort of uh, started this with my first book. It was uh, in my uh, appearances back in 2005 and six, and then in my first book when it came out in 2008, uh, the difference between currency and money. 
and um, and now I'm just absolutely going to go to war on this because uh, if people can define, if they can discern the difference between currency and money, it makes a huge difference in your life, and it shows you how you are being robbed by the system. Uh, the system benefits the few at the expense of the many. Absolutely. We're going to get there because that was a big focus of one of your later chapters. Um, real quick, last on on this part about money, and then I want to get on to some of the other um, insights you have there. Um, so your, your point about cup inflation, right, which yeah. is um, currency units per person, makes total sense, right? The more currency units there are per person, the less individual purchasing power each one has, right? So that's why we got to keep an eye on the currency supply, right? The 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 bigger it gets, the less our individual pieces yeah. of currency will will buy us, right? And so thank you for calling it currency supply. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah. I'm trying. To, hey, look, I'm trying. I know we get honked a lot in your channel, but I actually really do try. <laughs> so you you um you talk about that. Look, if if we calculated if, if if the inflation rate was determined, like let's say we were we were back on a gold standard. And the inflation rate were determined by the amount of new gold that gets mined every year, right? Um, the inflation rate would be somewhere around 1.6%, right? Much lower than what we have right now. That's the inflation of the gold supply, but then the that, population grows at 1.1% or whatever it was, roughly, right? That's Keep where I was going with that, right? So yeah. then if you add if you add population growth in there to kind of get to your currency per person. The, the natural inflation inflation rate from from that would be about 0.5%, which I think people having just experienced the inflation that we've we've seen, you know, as imperfectly measured by the CPI is much higher than that, you know, 20 times higher than that. They'd love to have a 0.5% inflation rate, but but we don't for a lot of the reasons you discuss in the book. And I want to get back to the the two types of, of, of currency we have right now. We have uh, the base currency, which I sort of think as that's the magic money printer that the, the the Fed has, right? They want more base currency. They just magically print more up. But there's two forms, currency and circulation and bank reserves. And, and bank reserves, right. But in both cases, the Fed is creating them with, you know, basically yeah. by imagining them into existence. Um, then you have the bank currency. Uh, credit currency, which is, as you were explaining earlier, that comes into existence because of loans, right? Banks make loans, those loans then generate interest and and the, the, the money to pay that interest is sort of invented into to existence yeah. by just saying, okay, this loan is going to, you know, demand X amount of interest. And I sort of think of that as like um, the old Star Trek series where they had the tribbles, Right, those little furry animals that just <laughs> yep. get multiplied. Right, right? And that's what it is because banks make loans every day, right? And so we just have more and more tribbles worth of of uh, bank uh, credit currency out there in the world. So we kind of have this magic money printing machine and these ever expanding tribbles out there. And so again, tying it back to your your point about <clears throat> currency units per person, that ratio is just getting worse and worse all the time, unless yeah. we have massive credit defaults that shrink uh, the, the debt pile, um, or the, the Fed really decides to go in reverse and, and, and hoover up a lot of uh, excess currency from the system, both of which rarely happen. Um, usually when they happen, because of the way our system's created, they make the system really unstable, 
politicians hate it. People hate it because prices are coming down and the things that they are trying to store their value in, like their portfolios or their homes or whatnot. But the point is, is the, the, cur the current system, the way that it's structured is really kind of geared to always running that magical money printer and making more and more tribbles, which makes the value of our currency always go down, at least as the status quo is trying to continue. Did I summarize it right? Yes. And tribble rhymes with trouble. <laughs> there <laughs> the you dollar go. is in trouble. The dollars, and, and I want to end this section on, on another quote from your book, which was, and I'm going to ask the audience to try to guess in their minds as I'm saying this, who they think might have made this quote, and I think they're going to be wrong. The quote is, in the absence of the gold standard, there is no way to protect savings from confiscation through inflation. There is no safe store of value. So audience, curious who you're conjuring in your mind. Uh, as I said that, the person who said it was former Fed Chairman Alan Greenspan. Who became the greatest inflator on earth until Ben Bernanke took over. Yeah, I mean, Greenspan <laughs> really sort of started the modern era of just, you know, profligation in terms of increasing the currency supply. Um, but so interesting that that at one point in his career, he was, you know, dead clear that, look, gold is the way to protect against inflation. And then he became such an inflation abuser. Yeah, he was a big follower of Ayn Rand at one point, and so a, a real belief in free markets. And he used to uh, say quite often in testimony to Congress that he recommends the gold standard, that we go back to the gold standard. That was always his point of view. So it was very interesting that he that was his point of view, yet he became the greatest inflator uh, that had ever existed until Ben Bernanke and then Jerome Powell. Yeah, so it's so interesting that even the guys running the show right now, the guys in charge of the status quo, they actually don't believe in it. <laughs> they, right. they believe in the, the the sanctity of sound money, real sound money. Okay, so getting on to your, the next key point of your book, um, you 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 basically say, look, um, the the people running our system are making and are highly likely to make going forward some really dumb mistakes. But it's it's valuable to understand the mistakes they're making because they can make you, in your words, stupid rich if you right. position yourself accordingly. So um, uh, you uh, you give a number of examples of this. We, we don't have time to kind of go through it all. But is there one or two examples of these really um, you know, dumb mistakes that that you think are important to keep our eye on here? Oh, the uh, raising of rates at this lightning pace that Powell is doing. Um, they are they're doing something that has an exponential effect with these linear moves. They think, well, uh, cautious is going to we're going to do half point moves or we're going to do one point moves or what three quarters point. And when you're coming off of a zero point two five percent interest rate, <laughs> a half point is a big change. That's a you know, if you're going up a half point from where you are. Uh, that's a 200% increase suddenly. And, you know, I've, I go to the Fed's re, uh, website and I create these charts and you can put uh, year over year percentage change. We come out with like 8,000% increase in interest rates because, I mean, it's it's totally nuts. Which is uh, highly likely to just sort of send the system into shock when you make a yes. change that big that fast, right? Yeah, well, the whole thing is that uh, this is something that shouldn't be determined. This should be determined by the markets. Uh, the market, this giant voting machine called the markets with, uh, you know, input 
from every single transaction that takes place in a society making these decisions uh, versus just this small group of, of uh, 12 people uh, thinking that they're smarter than the free market, which is absolutely impossible. Uh, it takes a, a huge level of arrogance and hubris to think that you are smarter than the free market and you can decide these things without some sort of unintended consequences. And the unintended consequences since 2008, well, Alan Greenspan caused a warping of the economy uh, twice, and Ben Bernanke caused an enormous warping of the economy, and so did uh, Powell. When they do QE, uh, because of the mechanism of QE, they can only uh, make their asset purchases through their primary dealers, which are these big brokerage houses and such. And uh, when they do that, uh, it uh, means that they are funneling currency directly into the stock markets, into, uh, you know, the brokerage houses can buy either, the primary dealers can buy either directly from the treasury or they can buy from the open market. And so uh, the Fed wants some bonds or they want some mortgage-backed securities and they go out there and they make a purchase. And if it happens to be from a pension fund or something, a pension fund may decide to replace that bond that was just purchased with stocks. The correlation between the rise, I mean, from QE one, two, and three, if the stock, if the base currency increased by 10%, the stock market would go up 10%. If it increased by 20%, the stock market would go up by 20%. The correlations are astounding. Uh, and so when you do that, when you dilute the currency supply uh, and spend that new currency into one area, one sector, that area becomes warped, but it's robbing from the other area as it does it. This is what kept all of the groceries and gasoline and stuff down for so many years. We, they were having trouble creating that inflation because the mechanics of the way they create inflation is to inflate the stock markets and the right. bond market. And that's it. And that's that what they're stuck with. It's the only thing they can't go out and pump uh, up the price of groceries and gasoline by buying groceries and gasoline. But why are we not questioning the morality of legally authorizing an entity to counterfeit currency and just imagine currency into existence and then buy things with it, especially things attached to our future work hours. We have to work to pay off that uh, mortgage loan that's in the mortgage-backed security that the Fed bought. We have to work to uh, pay the uh, principal and the interest due on the treasury bonds through our taxes in the future. To and, and so the currency comes into existence by sort of enslaving us. We are enslaved in the future, you, uh, our children. Uh, this all has to be paid back through future taxation. And that is a great point of the book. And, and we'll talk a little bit more about this in just a moment. But you, you say, look, you know, there's, there's, bad mistakes that they're making. Um, but in some cases, this is also kind of the plan. And yeah. um, as you said earlier, which is really important for people to understand, which is really the value of, of a fiat currency these days is the um, expectation that um, you know future work done by the citizens of that country uh, yeah. will generate the, the, the tax revenues and the, the bounty that will underlie the value of the piece of paper, right? So every time they're making more of this, they are siphoning 
uh, off of your future work or demanding more of you in the future, right? So your your point of enslavement uh, is a good one. And I know you go through in the book of really sort of explaining why you chose that word and um, and trying to be very you know sensitive about it as well and all, all that stuff. So I'll let folks read that part of the book. Um, all right. So let me let me let me make my way to that part of the book. So you talk about okay, these guys are not the smartest guys in the room. They're doing some really dumb things. You then say, look, um, we have to, as um, people who don't want to become collateral damage to those dumb mistakes, we have to be aware of what's going on. So we really have to let the data guide us. Now, this is a you know big part of the book, which is your online chapters, where you're keeping the data updated in real time going forward. Um, way too many charts in there to go through them in, in this conversation, Mike. But I'm just curious, is there... Is there a chart in there that you might want to just sort of highlight here as one of the ones that you watch a lot to sort of just understand where we are in the story? Wow. Um, well, I'm asking you to pick your favorite child here, but you know. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's, I can't remember, there's like 300 charts in the book or something like that. It's a, whatever there is, it's a lot of them. Uh, it was years and years where I probably have more than 3,000 hours of work into this book, maybe 4,000 hours. A work year at 40 hours a week is uh, 2,000 hours. So it's, uh, and um, when the pandemic happened, by the way, and we had the uh, COVID crash, the pandemic plunge, uh, I really thought that I had missed the opportunity and that I had just wasted years of my life. And I stopped writing the book for about uh, six months or more um, and uh, then got back on it very intensely. Uh, but, uh, you know, offhand, I don't know. Oh, yes, it's not in chapter four. It's in the physical book. It's the final part chapter in part uh, six of the book. And I'm looking at uh, uh, in chapter six. And that is a chart of um, the debt to um, it's, it's a ratio of if we take on a dollar of debt, how much GDP growth do we get? And after World War II, we would get between six and eight dollars worth of growth. But since 2008, for every dollar we borrow, we end up with 50 cents worth of growth, roughly. So it's it's going negative. And so borrowing more and doing more deficit spending is only going to accelerate this big problem that we've got. There is no way to borrow our, our way out of this mess. We cannot borrow our way to prosperity. All right, so we've passed the critical threshold here where borrowing actually results in a net negative impact for us socially here. Now it does, yes. Up until 2008, there would be a positive, but it is a downward slope since World War II. As we take on more and more and more debt and the interest due on the debt becomes a larger portion, and now we're raising rates. <laughs> so it's just going to make it even worse. Okay, so now let's move on to, um, and we're, we're, we're going to get to the real meat of the book in just a second here. Um, but another one of your key key points here is, you know, they're not just incompetent. Um, you know, they're also intentionally trying to steal our purchasing power here. It, it's that the inflation is, is now not a bug uh, of the system. It's a feature, right? <clears throat> and, you know, in certain cases, they almost sort of have to at this point in time. Uh, the debt pile is so large. Um, really the only way in which you can try to keep things going is to use inflation to make the, the current debt payments not as onerous as they might otherwise be. 
Um, but are there any other examples in here that 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 particularly concern you about sort of the intentionality of trying to steal the purchasing power of our currency? Well, like I say in in toward the end of chapter four, uh, these are all supposed to be some really smart people. And uh, I think it was chapter two, maybe, uh, that was called Dumb Mistakes by Smart People Can Make You yep. Stupid Rich. Uh, chapter four, at the end of it, uh, I say that these are some some very, very smart PhD economists. Uh, if they don't understand and and can't comprehend the wealth transfer that they are creating and that this is theft from one group of people and a gift to another group of people that they create when they conjure currency into existence like this uh, and and it's attached to future taxation if they can't understand that then they're incompetent and they don't belong in their jobs if they do understand it then they're immoral and they belong in jail they are uh uh, promoting and supporting and participating in uh, theft. And uh, I mean, it's it's fraud and it's theft. And uh, then I follow it up with a quote from the Federal Reserve that basically says that the um, the when when new currency is created, the and it's from the 1970s, I think they said this, but uh, the creation of currency imparts uh, purchasing power to the first users and spenders, and and uh, and uh, it's the the holders of currency that are paying for it. Uh, Got it. And that's the, is that right. what's referred to as the Cantillon effect? Well, the Cantillon effect is that uh, yes, that's the mechanics behind the Cantillon effect. But whoever you give it to, wherever they spend it, it's going to inflate that sector of the economy. So that's the right. But those who get first access to it basically get the, the most benefit from it, right? Yes, yeah. And yeah. so we've seen was all the new currency was created and went into the financial sector. And those are the people that got the benefit of it. Um, if your net worth is determined by your stock portfolio, then you were a beneficiary of QE. Uh, if you tried to have a savings account or you're just working and getting by, then you paid the bill. Right. And that's sort of what I meant about it sort of being a feature of the status quo and not a bug, which is, you know, the people who have benefited the most from all those policies are the people who are kind of running the current system. Right. So, you know, if, if you're a Wall Street bank, you know, you're you're doing great on this. Right. Yes. Trading desk yeah. is making great profits. Your clients are super happy. A lot of these big financial institutions then reinvest those profits by, you know, lobbying uh dc or you know cozying up to our, our lawmakers and regulators and saying hey once your turn in dc is done we got a really cushy board position here for you which of course colors the thinking of the people who are in office making the laws because they know hey you know if i help out this company i'm going to get a really sweet deal when i get out of here right so uh your point about sort of immoral or theft um very well may be true i believe it is the problem is is that the incentives are so misaligned that uh, a lot of the people running the system are willing to turn a blind eye to that because they personally are going to benefit so much. Yeah, well, uh, this is one of the we the, we keep on coming up with very specific and complex laws, and there needs to be more prosecution uh, on the you know in general moral laws. 
conflicts of interest is something that we see all over the place. That's what you were just talking about is conflicts of interest. And uh, it's it really has distorted and warped. I mean, this is such a different world than it was just a couple of years ago. I just can't believe the changes that have happened. And uh, and they've almost all been for the negative. There are some positive things happening. I do be believe that we have a very bright future ahead of us uh, once we get through this dark period that's coming. But the dark period can be used to dramatically increase your wealth. Right. Okay. And that's now the meat of the book here, right? Where you, you talk about um, the almost everything bubble um, and uh, that it, 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 it has grown into existence, um, but it, it inevitably must pop here. In fact, it might already be in the process of doing that, right? It might, the, the popping might have started from the 2021 into 2022 threshold. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see for sure. But what's interesting, Mike, is you're right about how things have changed so much, even just from a couple of years ago. So you and I uh, could have and did have conversations pre-2020 about a lot of these exact same issues that you and I have been talking about here. But to borrow a word from um, former uh, of uh, uh, budget director under Reagan, uh, David Stockman, um, the deformations uh, just like went on steroids uh, after the pandemic in terms of the just trillions and trillions of both uh, tens of trillions of um, uh, monetary and fiscal stimulus uh, around the world just sort of pumped into the system. So while things were dangerously deformed before the pandemic in the ways right. that you and I are talking about here, they just got wildly so since then. Um, so anyways, you know, I'll let you talk about this, but but this this almost everything bubble, I believe is having read your your book here, it's it's um, an unsustainable level of distortion the system has been brought to. And you, you sort of follow it in the next chapter of saying not only does it exist and it must pop, but there is no way to avoid the pain of the calamity. Like there's no there's no way to sidestep this as a, as a society or a nation. There's no way to prevent this from happening. So rather than um, try to magically think it can be avoided, the important thing is to take action to make sure that you're both protected from the popping and potentially positioned to benefit from it. Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, it's the almost everything bubble, not the everything bubble. And so the uh, thing that people should be trying to do is identify what is not in a bubble, move out of the things that are in a bubble and into whatever is not in a bubble. If it's a safe haven asset like gold and silver, I do believe that they are destined to be the next great bubble. And so uh, when there's a panic out of all of the things that are currently in a bubble, uh, and that starts deflating at a very rapid rate, I think a lot of people are going to be trying to, uh, uh, you know, trying to save what they have. But if, they've all, if, they're, if they move into things like gold and silver early, and there are other things. I mean, I bought some farmland. I've got a, um, you know, but I also, I bought that because the worst case scenario is like food supply disruptions, energy disruptions, and so on. And so I've, I've got my own, uh, it's all, I've got four buildings that are solar powered and, uh, uh, and we grow our own food up there. Uh, and I can charge my car up there off of sunlight. 
and so um and we've got redundant internet with uh, a, a microwave internet dish for a local internet service and starlink so uh i've i've gone over the top a little bit <laughs> in I don't want to be considered a, a prepper, but uh, you know, doomsday prepper, because I do believe we've got a very bright future ahead of us. There's just going to be a few dark years here, but those few dark years can definitely be used to make some gains, but you have to be in it early to, to realize those gains. You can't wait until um, everything, until <laughs> the excrement impacts the air acceleration device <laughs> <laughs> great way to say it and just, just to underscore the you know, american culture is to chase what's high in price right we, yes. we we we're just bubble chasers as a culture right so you know cryptocurrencies are going up well that's when everybody piles in right is, is when they've really started going bananas right yeah um we've seen that with so many other stocks dot com uh bubble um you know everything uh even gold and silver they we, they yeah. tend to see in the states the biggest capital inflows when they've been nearest their highs right um and of course the way to make real money is to buy when the price is low relative to its value. And, and this is where this was the key thing that I took from the book, Mike, which was a quote of yours, which was price means nothing. Value is everything. Yeah. Right. So what you need to do is you need to sort of take off your price glasses, which just tell you what the price tag of everything is currently. And you need to put on your value glasses to say, what is the value of this thing today? And if there's a big mismatch between its value and its price, well, that's as an, an investor where you want to be paying uh, the most attention, right? And obviously, if something's yeah. low in price but high in value, that's where you want to be buying right now. And and you know, and you want to be selling everything that's the opposite. You know? Yeah, exactly, and avoiding everything yeah. that's the opposite. And, and that's likely where the capital flows are, are likely to go, right? From the things that are overpriced versus value to underpriced versus value. Um, and everything in your book basically leads up to the argument that, you know, looking at gold and silver specifically, they are tremendously uh, mispriced or undervalued right now, given their right. true value, given their current price. Um, you talk about, I'll, I'll let you give the details here, but um, you, you talk about how the bull market, here's another quote of If the bull market of the 70s, gold, it drove gold up 25 times and silver up 41 times with only 125th the amount of the currency per ounce chasing them. And then we add fear to the mix. Just what do you think will happen this time around? Right. Uh, that is from chapter seven, where I finally get to gold and silver. And, you know, I start out that chapter by going through the 70s because people don't realize that up until cryptocurrencies, that was the biggest bull market of all time. And it happened in just eight and a half years. Uh, you know, that was the biggest gains uh, in, uh, you know, I've got a chart of the tulip mania and uh, 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 the South Sea bubble and the Mississippi bubble. And uh, those actually weren't as big as the gains on uh, of gold and silver in the 70s bull market. Uh, and the thing is, in that chapter, I show, I, so I first show how spectacularly they did. And I've got a bunch of uh, Time article quotes in there from uh, the Time magazine uh, of the panic that the public was going through to try and get in on the deal. They didn't want to be left out. 
uh, and I show some interesting charts, the shape of fear, basically. And whenever you look at uh, a, uh, the, a chart of the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or the, uh, um, the uh, Dow, they've got rounded tops and then they everybody panics and there's this crash and everybody's scared and then uh people that uh the usually the uh people that have ultra deep pockets on wall street come in and start buying at the lows and start and and short sellers uh cover their position and take the profits and the markets start rising again so these spikes are a picture of uh panic so you've got greed and you've got fear these v-shaped spikes um, and then I show another chart that has this same thing with the V-shaped spikes. It's just gold turned upside down. You turn it up right side up, and when gold is rising, that's the fear and panic. That's the reason it's got that shape to it. So uh, in that chapter, what I show is I'm looking at a little note that I made here. Uh, today, we have uh, twice as many ounces of gold available above ground for investors to buy as we did when it peaked in 1980. However, there's 18 times more people that can legally access. And you know, in the, uh, the 1970s bull market, there were no markets in the USSR, Mao's China, um, uh, Africa uh, was not only devastatingly poor, but uh, you know, there's, there was no exchange there. There was no place for them to buy. Uh, same thing with South America. When you add it all up, there's 18 times more people that can participate in the great gold and silver rush of the 21st century than the one that we saw back in the 20th century. There's 55 times more currency according to the OECD, the Organization, Organization of Economic uh, Cooperation and Development. 55 times more currency. 56 times more millionaires around the planet, 200 times more billionaires, and 220 times more available consumer credit than the size of the global stock market is 49 times larger. So you take all of these factors, people trying to protect their wealth in a crisis. Yeah, the pile of uh, gold has doubled, but it's 18 times more people trying to get it with 55 times more currency. Uh, this is just nuts. And I, I just... Uh, I, I state at the end of that chapter uh, to come back and reread it when gold passes $3,000 an ounce, $5,000 an ounce, $10,000 an ounce, and never looks back. Because uh, you'll see why the great gold and silver rush of the 21st century is just going to take your breath away. And it will. <laughs> wow. Um, the, just mind-blowing stats there. And, and I think just that little section that you just read through, Mike, is is a really compelling argument for why you've got such great confidence that that much better days are ahead for the prices yeah. of these things. Um, I, we're getting near the end of the hour, so I'm going to have to start wrapping things up here. This is an unfair question to ask you this late uh, and not give you a lot of time to explain it, but, but very shorthand. Uh, to people who have said, well, well, Mike, why have gold and silver been sort of left behind and, and why are they so undervalued right now, you know, relative to where you think they should be? Um, what's your quick elevator answer to that? Uh, I suppose it would be uh, all of the QE and currency creation was pumped into one sector, causing that to go up. And uh, when something else is going up at a quicker rate, plus there is 
some price suppression that is that goes on. There's a little bit in the book about, you know, there's people that have gone to jail over precious metals price manipulation. And to them, I say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, because I can buy now at a cheaper price. Enjoy right. your time in jail. Because <laughs> the manipulation is your friend currently, because they always lose control of these types of things. So those are the, the two uh, aspects of my short elevator answer. All right, great. Um, so as we begin to wrap up here, Mike, where can folks get their hands on this wonderful book? Well, uh, they should go to ggsr21.com. Uh, it's 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 going it's uh, available on Amazon, but ggsr21.com. There's a link through there to Amazon. There is the chapters three and four, and three is a very friendly chapter, easy to read, and entertaining and informative. Uh, four is harder to understand, but that is the one that is the key to understanding the economy and the future and the rest of the book. If you can get it's it's broken down into eight separate parts so that somebody can read it. And if they don't understand how they have been monetized, how the monetary system, uh, it all circulates off of extraction of future work hours of all of us. Uh, and it shows how the markets have been artificially inflated. It shows that the Federal Reserve, through their purchases of mortgage-backed securities, has accidentally created $2.7 trillion worth of what I call doppelganger dollars, an evil twin. Uh, do you have a moment for that? Can I explain that real quick? Sure, go for it. Okay, so uh, all dollars in existence used to come into existence through loans and leases. There's one chart in there where I show the $7 trillion theft, but there's two lines on this chart that go up together and it's loans and leases create deposits. And so they, they go up together and then 2008 happens and there's this enormous divergence that is now a third of the currency supply. What was created and wasn't created through Main Street, through loans and leases to open up restaurants, to buy homes, which hired, you know, that's where why plumbers and contractors get hired. Uh, it wasn't to do all of those things. It was created and diluted the currency supply and stole the purchasing power from Main Street and gave it to Wall Street. And the, the deposits are a third of a, you know, the currency supply was stolen and basically given to Wall Street. Um, but part of that is buying mortgage-backed securities. Uh, when they bought mortgage-backed securities, I don't think Ben Bernanke thought this through when he talked about in his 2002 uh, speech deflation, making sure it doesn't happen there, which was a roadmap to everything that has happened since 2008. He laid it all out in 2002. If you read that, you could have seen the future. I, I did read it in about 2005, and that's the reason I wrote my first book. Uh, but um, when he started buying mortgage-backed securities, when you buy a house, you go to the bank, the bank imagines a million dollars into your account, and that million dollars worth of IOUs gets paid to the seller and those, those IOUs are out in circulation. The million dollars of the principal that was borrowed into existence is out in circulation. That mortgage, the, the mortgage then gets sold to a financial firm that bundles it up into a mortgage-backed security and it's traded on the market. And then uh, Ben Bernanke comes along and says, I wanna buy a trillion dollars worth of mortgage-backed securities. And the primary dealers, 
uh, purchase those and sell them to the Fed. And the Fed creates a million dollars again on that same mortgage. So that house has now been monetized twice. It's like frac a 50% fractional reserve scheme without telling anybody. It's mm -hmm. a 50% fractional reserve scheme. But the important thing here is as you make the mortgage payment, it's paying off the principal that is inside the mortgage-backed security that the Fed holds. So it's, it's uh, annihilating those dollars that were created, not the first dollars that the banks created that are out in circulation permanently. It's a brand new type of dollar that never existed before. It's the evil twin, huh? Right. And wow. we're going to, we don't know what the effects are going to be, but we know what happened when uh, in, in 23, when Germany uh, was, or, or, you know, in 2007 and eight, when Zimbabwe uh, just printed currency to run the government, when you just print and it stays out there permanently, it's not owed back and it's not a self-extinguishing dollar. Because all the dollars in existence right now are self-extinguishing. That's the difference between currency and money. You can't conjure money out of nowhere, and it it uh, doesn't vanish. Uh, so <laughs> that's the reason I am so heavily my my net worth is mostly precious metals. And uh, you you mentioned Zimbabwe there. We were talking before we turned the camera on here, Mike. Um, you had sent me uh, my first Zimbabwe dollars, um, making me a trillionaire. By the way, thank you. Um, you had actually a hundred trillion dollar note, by the way. A hundred trillion, exactly. Hundred trillion. So you had you, you sent me two notes, um, and I can't remember the exact years. It was either two thousand eight and two thousand nine, or two thousand seven, two thousand eight. But one note was a one Zimbabwe dollar note. The other note was a 100 trillion Zimbabwe dollar note. Yeah. And actually, the latter had less purchasing power than the first uh, by the time it was actually printed. Yeah, the $1 uh, was a 2007 and the 100 trillion dollar was a 2008. Right, and which which just goes to show how quickly right. you know, a fiat currency can die. And, and you're, I know you're not saying the dollar is going to follow that route overnight, you know, anytime no. immediately. But it just shows that it can happen that fast. Yes. And what's interesting is the Zimbabwe dollar was actually, I think it was a buck fifty-three or a buck fifty-six US to one Zimbabwe dollar. So it had 50% higher purchasing power than the US dollar when it was originally created. Well, how uh how, how far the mighty have fallen, right? Um all right, well look, um, so uh, I will put up the links to uh, the uh, ggsr21.com uh, website so folks know where to go. Just to clarify for them, Mike, obviously everybody should go there and buy the book. Um, but when they go there, they can actually access chapters three and four for free, right? They're yes, basically right away. Free, right? Yeah, there's no wall in front of them or anything. There's also a wealth of uh, information. Uh, there's videos that I've uh, done where I sort of go through these eight different sections of the uh, of chapter four and uh, chapter three. Uh, but there will be uh, ongoing updates and uh, more charts, further information, so that uh, chapters in the book, uh, the most critical charts and so on in there, uh, we'll get some. We'll get live updates periodically. Yeah, it's amazing how much bonus content comes along with this book um, in terms of you know the extra online chapters, the bonus videos, et cetera. And you're going to keep adding to it going forward. And so it's 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 not intimidating. It's it's easy to read. It's fast. I mean, how long you read it in just a couple of days, right? 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. In fact, uh, it, you know, it was kind of hard to put down once I started reading it. Um, well, all right, Mike, well, look, for folks who have enjoyed this discussion, for the very few that might be meeting you for the first time in this video, where can they go beyond buying the book? Where can they go to learn more about you and follow you and your work? Uh, well, there's my YouTube channel. Just uh, go on YouTube and do a search for Mike Maloney or Mike Maloney Gold. Uh, and there is uh, um, my uh, gold silver.com website where you can find uh videos and uh, uh updates and we've got somebody that provides news uh every day there so goldsilver.com ggsr so great gold and silver rush of the 21st century ggsr21.com and uh and follow me on youtube awesome um all right and you are also going to be speaking at the upcoming uh, wealthy on spring conference uh, next month on Saturday, March 18th. Um, yeah. And I want to let folks know, Mike was kind enough to send me multiple copies of the book. So um, at the conference, we're going to be doing a live giveaway throughout the day uh, of these five books. And I'll let you know too, that I'll be putting in one of these fractional uh, grams of gold orums in the book as a gold uh, bookmark. So uh, you'll be able to uh, walk away with five lucky people will be able to walk away from these uh, who uh, sign up for the conference. Um, and uh, look, all the details of the conference are over at wealthion.com slash conference. I won't go through them all here, except to say that if you uh, act quickly, you'll still be able to lock in the lowest early bird price on that event. Um, and also, folks, I just want to deliver my, my regular message. Uh, Mike's done a great job of adding to the discussions we have on this channel of all of the both the macro risks, but but in this case, really the threat to the purchasing power of our wealth um, that's happening for all the reasons that he and I just talked about here. Um, highly recommend that the average person watching this work under the guidance of a professional financial advisor who understands this, right? There's a lot of financial advisors out there who, who really kind of denigrate the precious metals. Uh, they, they basically tell you, oh, you know, only crazy people invest in gold. And really one strong bias that they have against gold is that they don't make any money off of it in their portfolio, um, and that's a big reason why they 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 you know they, they criticize it like that. Also, too, a lot of these guys just don't understand uh, the factors that Mike and I talked about here. They don't understand the history of of fiat currency. Um, so, anyways, highly recommend that you work under the the guidance of one who does understand that, as well as all the the, the macro um, risks, but also opportunities that Mike is laying out here as well. If you have a good one who already does that, great, stick with them. But if you don't, or if you'd like a second opinion from one who does, consider talking to one of the financial advisors that are endorsed by Wealthion. Um, you can set up a free consultation with them by going to Wealthion.com, filling out the short form there. These consultations don't cost you anything. They're totally free. There's no commitment to work with these advisors. Um, they're just offering this as a public service to help people take prudent action today before all the elements that Mike have talked about um, may actually, you know, truly come into fruition. So, um, all right, Mike, well, look, this has been just a fantastic discussion. Folks, if you've enjoyed having Mike on, would like to have him come back on this channel as well. Uh, again, in the near future, please do us a favor, support this channel by hitting the like button, then clicking on the red subscribe button below, as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure. And again, congratulations on the launch of a great book. Thanks a lot, Adam. All right, everybody else, thanks so much for watching.